Dirty Harry. Welcome to another bonus episode of Dirty Harry Minute. I'm your host, John, and we haven't spoken in a while, have we? Thought it was time we check in on Dirty Harry. What would a lonely inspector be doing at this holiday time? Uh, Would he be going stir-crazy at home? Finding some way to get out in the street with his 44 Magnum? As you've probably noticed from, from our feed, we're working our way slowly through all the sequels. And hopefully we'll have a standalone review episode for each Dirty Harry sequel. And also for a bit of fun, for our sanity, a audio commentary that I'll uh, get some past guests to guest on with us. Things will probably slow down next year on the podcast as I sort of run out of content. Please, everyone, go to dirtyharryminute.com and if you want to leave any questions, comments, or suggestions, we will definitely take those on board. But yeah, things will probably slow down a little bit, maybe one release every two months. Um, As we've milked this project to the end of its life, I had a brainwave the other day, maybe over the course of a decade, to do short reviews of every Clint Eastwood film post the spaghetti films. So mm, that could very well be something we do in the future if you are a particular fan of any one particular Eastwood film, just send us a line and um, I'll write you down in the book. (laughs) Harry Home Alone, written by Jonathan Bampton, read by Luke Allen. Harry often forgot he had a sister. He brushed away the sandwich crumbs from his faded grey slacks and picked up the yellow legal letter laying on his tattered bedsheet. He nestled back into his pillow. Lofton and Co, attorneys at law, he read. His sister had died three weeks ago, and her probate had already been granted by an Omaha court. This was the first he'd heard about it, but it didn't come as a shock. He hadn't seen her in about twelve years. Harry's eyes darted back to the small wooden crate sitting at the foot of his narrow apartment doorframe. Given that a near lifetime of possessions could all be housed in such a small object, it was evident they'd shared each other's frugal lifestyle. He read on to discover there was a small amount in a cash account that would soon be wired his way. Harry had a cursory look through the contents of the crate after the mailman had first brought it to his apartment yesterday afternoon. Inside it was their mother's wedding ring, a few readers' digests, what appeared to be the family bible, and a smattering of small effects. Nothing really meant anything to Harry, except maybe the ring. He'd give the rest a goodwill, he thought. No sense in keeping things he'd never look at again. For some reason, there was a small toy gun in the crate. He faintly remembered gifting to his sister's son, his nephew Bernard. He was all grown up in the Marines now, but had fallen out with his sister some years back. As for her husband, Uncle Jamie, he'd fallen away years ago. It was Thanksgiving and Harry was home alone. He had no active cases and Bresler was forcing her to have the day off. 
He looked up at the ceiling and sighed almost inaudibly. What was he supposed to do? The water faucet had dripped the entire last night, and then he'd fixed that this morning. Now what? It was about time of year he normally got his gun cleaned, but no stores were open. He'd seen a Japanese woman move into the apartment below the stairs a few days ago. Maybe he should go and introduce himself. That'd be the day, Harry thought. He now finally had time to get a haircut. Maybe he'd try in the afternoon. Maybe. His mind ticked over without purpose. He wondered what Scorpio was doing for the holiday. Hopefully lame under a bridge with some rats for dinner. The groundskeeper at Kieser Stadium had said the creep had packed up and left as soon as he'd been released from hospital. No forwarding address known. Harry had seen him a few nights later on Broadway. He knew he'd never get the chance again, so he coshed him brightly on the back of the head with his gun butt. Knocked him out cold. The inspector got the hell out of there before any tourist could find him. Then, Linguini reckoned he'd seen him somewhere down on the Embarcadero a few days later when on patrol, but he couldn't be sure. May as well go look over the crate again, Harry decided. He got up and slowly idled over towards the door, his feet crushing a discarded paper coffee cup. Reaching down, he pushed aside the Bible and saw a stack of old letters. Harry picked them up to inspect. A stack of return to senders, from him to his sister over the years. Maybe he could have been a bit of a better brother, he admitted to himself. A number of the letters were addressed to Denise and Harry Callahan. Boy, that was ancient history. He might keep those. He put the letters back in place and picked up his mother's wedding ring. He put it on his ring finger. Oddly, it fitted. His doorbell rang and he walked the short distance to open the door. He peered through and saw it had actually been the bell of his neighbour ring. It was a mustachioed man he'd seen around the apartment block and he was sheepishly ushering another male into his alcove. The sound of each of his neighbour's bells seemed equal in volume and pitch and the mistake was often made. The inspector closed the door and returned to his bed with thoughts of his departed sister. She'd been fine as sisters went. The reason they had never drifted apart was because they were never really that close. Shared childhood experience and familial ties didn't amount to a lot with the Callahans. Harry sprawled out on his bed like a cat. The bed creaked in ecstasy at the weight of his body, which is more action than it had received in years. Maybe you should check out that new gymnasium that had opened up down the road. It was the sort of place you read about in magazines, about those health retreats. He faintly remembered there being one back at the police academy, but aside from that, he'd only really seen them in the movies. He got most of his exercise by being constantly awake, and the daily pounding of pavement in his chase of criminals. If it's easy being a cop, then it's a police state, he'd heard one protester say being interviewed on television the other day. Well, if they wanted to trade their life for his, he thought, well, go for it. Being in the force wasn't that easy. He looked forward to being put in a pinch by criminals, that was the game, but of late it was the headshed that gave him stress. Harry pined for the day when he never even knew who the mayor was. It used to be just Bressler and him, sometimes with the chief. Being a cop ain't easy, he sighed, and it sure ain't easy filling my days outside of work either. Once you're a cop, that's all you are, you're never off. Stuff the gym. 
Maybe he'd go and say hello to the new girl downstairs, he smiled. Nah, who was he kidding? Time for some more instant coffee instead. I don't know about you, but with the current state of affairs, I struggle to sit and watch dark and depressing films. I think that what we really need is something to make us laugh, have a bit of fun, and appreciate how great life really is. For me, that escapism is watching Richard Curtis films. So over the course of two podcasts, Two Minutes About Time, co-hosted by Robert E. G. Black, and Christmas Actually, co-hosted by Lara Collier, we aim to tackle the Richard Curtis films about time and love actually, to consider the themes and messages in these films, and whether love actually is all around. And of course, we have a lot of fun and a lot of random stupid tangents along the way. Both Two Minutes About Time and Christmas Actually are available on all good podcast platforms.